let's, uh, let's dive into the word here. Um, we're going to be uh, uh, looking into the book of Acts. We'll continue our tour, our study through Acts here. And we're going to be picking up today in chapter 2, starting in verse 1. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles, let's read together God's Word. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to the Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we're hearing them telling in our own language, in our own tongues, the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. Let's pray. Dear Lord, today we may come to this passage from your word, also saying, What in the world does this mean? What... Uh, what, are these event, what is the significance of these events for us today in our lives? Um, but Lord, we know that your Holy Spirit is so important and is so just central to the work that you are doing in our lives and in the world. So I pray that we can get better acquainted with him uh, today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work in our lives to make us better acquainted with yourself and to learn to just fall more heavily upon you, to rely on you more and more and more. Um, let us just know who you are and, and what you can do in our lives. And we pray that we can see this from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, so we come to a very important passage today in the book of Acts. And it's important because this is where the main character of the book of Acts finally comes to center stage. And the main character of the book of Acts is none other than the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit, however, is often misunderstood among Christians in different circles in, in various ways. In some Christian circles, the Holy Spirit is kind of de-emphasized. Some Christians tend to think that the Holy Spirit did great things for the church in the past, but that his role, he, he kind of phased out in his role today and his relevance for the everyday Christian life is kind of minimal. And so he kind of just gets forgotten about and left out of the picture. And sometimes uh, in Presbyterian denominations that are 
unfortunately known as the frozen chosen, this can be the case where the Holy Spirit kind of um, gets left out of the picture. But surely this is a mistake, because the Holy Spirit, as I said, he's the central character in Acts, and he's just all over the place, all over the New Testament. Paul is just like the Spirit, the Holy Spirit this, the Holy Spirit that. So he's very relevant for our lives today, and we can't leave him out of the picture. We can't be frozen chosen. And on the other hand, there's other Christian circles where I feel like the Holy Spirit just gets emphasized so much that it almost obscures everything else with the Christian faith. And the gospel itself can even be kind of glossed over and missed if this kind of charismatic experience becomes just this expectation and the norm and the standard that real Christians have to live up to and measure up to. And this can turn into some kind of crazy stuff sometimes, honestly. This is where, these are the churches where you have people like rolling on the floor, running up and down the aisles, babbling in, in tongues and all that. And I don't know, I, I mean, you may be from a charismatic background, and I don't mean to, uh, to slander that tradition, but I think oftentimes in that tradition, the, a lot of important stuff gets missed because the Holy Spirit is just so, not overemphasized, but just so myopically uh, focused upon. And in Scripture, the Holy Spirit never obscures the Gospel and never obscures Christ and the cross. But instead, He's always drawing us to Jesus. He's, well, as we'll see, one of His main roles is to bear witness to Jesus. And so we can't go to either one of these extremes. But how can we properly understand the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? What is He doing in the church? What does is, what is the Spirit-filled life and church look like? And these are some just important questions that we have to ask, and I think as we look into this text today, we'll start to get answers to some of these. And so, hopefully, that's what we can accomplish. Uh, but this text mainly teaches that since the Holy Spirit is poured out in our hearts, we must rely on His power for living out the gospel and building up the church. So since the Holy Spirit is poured out in our hearts, we must rely on His power for living out the gospel and building up the church. And so I'm going to unpack all this stuff as we go forward here. And I'm going to try to do this in three points today. So the first point is going to be the Holy Spirit and Christ. Because it's really important, in order to understand who the Holy Spirit is, that we look at the relationship between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Because they're so, so closely related, and we can't miss that if we're going to understand who the Holy Spirit is and how He's at work. And the second point will be the Holy Spirit, the church, and the world. And we'll look at generally what the Holy Spirit is doing in the church and in the world. And third, the Holy Spirit and you. So this is we're going to try to really hit home here and see how the Holy Spirit... Uh, is relevant to our everyday life. So first, the Holy Spirit and Christ. So, when we start to read these events in chapter 2 of Acts, we immediately start to notice that there, there's something crazy going on here, that there's supernatural things happening. And when we see that the Holy Spirit is poured out, we're reminded that in Acts chapter 1, Jesus had said this was going to happen. So if we just turn back the page, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, 
we just looked at this passage not long ago at all, uh, a couple weeks ago. And Jesus says, when the disciples are asking, is he going to bring the kingdom now? He says to them, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So immediately, we have to note this connection between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Jesus had said that the Holy Spirit would come, and the Holy Spirit's chief role, according to Jesus, is to bear witness about himself. But we'll see that this connection between the Holy Spirit and Jesus goes back much further than just the first chapter of Acts. It goes all the way back to prophecies in the Old Testament. So let's just turn back the clock a little, a little bit here and, and try to just look at how all this is coming together in Scripture as a whole. So if we go back to Genesis, you all know the story how God created the world, God created human beings, and then human beings, Adam and Eve, they sinned. Sin entered the world, they fell, they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and God pronounced a curse on the earth. But immediately after this, God initiates this plan of redemption where he promises to set right what Adam and Eve, what humankind has messed up. And he promises right off the bat that he's going to do this by sending a Savior. So in Genesis chapter 3, God already promises that he'll send a seed of the woman, an offspring, a righteous human being to crush the head of Satan the serpent in the garden, and essentially to put to right what has been thrown off in this world. So the Holy, uh, so God promises salvation through a Savior. And this kind of drives the story of Genesis forward. Everybody's expecting, when's this Savior, this Messiah going to come? Is this Him? Is it Abraham? No. Is it Isaac? Is it Jacob? No. Everybody's still waiting for this Savior, this seed of the woman that's going to come. And also, we start to see, so this is one kind of stream of prophecy that's flowing through the Old Testament toward the New Testament. And then, after a while, we start to see promises that God will pour out His Holy Spirit as well. There's this kind of, it's a little bit ambiguous in a lot of places in the Old Testament. We see kind of shadows of the Holy Spirit here and there. Um, But it starts to become clear in the prophets God says in the book of Joel in chapter 2, which is actually quoted right here in Acts chapter 2 by Peter. We'll see that next week. But God says he'll pour out his spirit on all flesh. And in places in Isaiah, Ezekiel, there's these promises of God pouring out his spirit. And we see in these prophecies and promises what happens when God pours out his Holy Spirit is it brings dead things to life. There's promises in Isaiah about the Holy Spirit making the desert bloom and come to life. There's promises in Ezekiel 37 about the Holy Spirit bringing dry bones to life and putting flesh on these bones. So there's these kind of two streams going through the Old Testament. And actually in some interesting places, especially in the book of Isaiah, these two streams of prophecy kind of come together and intersect. And so we see interesting passages like here in Isaiah chapter 11, it says, uh, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And that's the Savior, this Messiah that's 
and prophesied. So that's that one stream. And then it says in verse 2, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And so on and so forth. So here in Isaiah, in a few places, these two kind of streams of prophecy about God's redemption and how he's going to set the world to right come together. And then in the Gospels, in the New Testament, when Jesus actually comes on the scene and we start to see these prophecies fulfilled, the two streams are just fully converged and just this raging river of God's work of salvation just going forward. So it's really interesting when um, the whole when the angel comes to Mary and tells her that she's going to have a son. Uh, uh, the the angel says the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and you will bear a son that will be the Son of God. And then when we come to John the Baptist, he's preparing the way for Jesus, and he says Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And then when Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. If you recall in, in Luke chapter 3, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus like a, in the form of a dove. And then throughout Jesus' ministry, the Holy Spirit is very active, just giving power, enabling His work to have its effect, and overshadowing all that Jesus does, and, and leading Jesus as well through His ministry. So, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are very closely connected. That's... That's what I'm driving at here. And Jesus, in the book of John, he actually promises to his disciples that he will send his Holy Spirit to bring remembrance to them of what he has said and to testify powerfully that he is the Son of God. And so, this, when this happens in Acts, it's a pretty big deal because it's been prophesied, as we've seen, from the very early stages in history, in redemptive history in the Bible. And it's what Jesus has, has talked about in the Gospels. And it's Jesus himself that sent this Holy Spirit. So it's not kind of like in the first chapter of Acts, Jesus goes to heaven and then he's just out of the picture and now the Holy Spirit takes over. Uh, it's Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is actually called the Spirit of Christ. By Paul in certain of his writings. So this is really the next phase in this story of God's redeeming the world through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. So that just gives us a little better grasp of who the Holy Spirit is and what's going on here. But why, we may still wonder, is the coming of the Holy Spirit here at Pentecost such a big deal for us? What is God actually accomplishing by pouring out His Spirit here at Pentecost? And I think if we look at the details of this passage, we'll start to get a better grasp of that. So, let's just dive in here. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1, Luke says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So we might wonder, first of all, what is this day of Pentecost? Well, Pentecost is another name for the Jewish-Israelite uh, Feast of Weeks, which is a, a feast that's prescribed in the Old Testament law 
in Deuteronomy and Exodus, you see this. And the Feast of Weeks was 50 days after the Passover. And it's, it was an opportunity for the Jews to celebrate their, the first fruits of their wheat harvest. And thank God for that. But also it had an important significance as far as commemorating an event in their history. You see, when, when the Israelites went out of Egypt, they celebrated Passover, the night that Pharaoh finally let them go and kicked them out of Egypt. And then about 50 days after that, they came to Sinai. And that is where God showed up and gave the law on Mount Sinai. And so, and the Feast of Weeks is 50 days after uh, Passover. So here we see that the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, is a commemoration of what happens at Mount Sinai, God's giving of the law. And so we, we see this, there's already a connection to Mount Sinai, just in virtue of it, of it being at the time of the Feast of Weeks at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes. But what's more, there are very notable similarities between what we see happening here and what happened at Mount Sinai. So if we look at verse 2, uh, it says, Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And so this, is, this reminds us of Mount Sinai in certain ways. Moses records in the book of Exodus and in Deuteronomy that when God shows up for the Israelites at Sinai, they hear this thunderous voice speaking from the mountain and that it's this great sound and here at Pentecost, we have a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And then also at Mount Sinai, the mountain was said to be on fire and it burned and smoked, kind of, kind of like uh, Mount Doom or something like that from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> um, and, uh, and here at Pentecost, we see fire too. There's fire, tongues of fire resting on each one of them. And I think these details... God uses these same kind of signs to show his presence and his activity to point out similarities between the two events. And I think these similarities are meant to show that Pentecost, like Mount Sinai, is, a, is God renewing the covenant with his people. God is coming and he's saying, you are my people and I am your God. And this is how our relations are going to go between us in both cases. So it's a covenant renewal meeting between God and his people here at, Mount, at uh, Pentecost, just as it was at Mount Sinai. But now we've also got to pay attention to, very, to a few very important differences between Pentecost and Sinai. You see, at, at Mount Sinai, when God gave the law to Moses, he told him how to build the tabernacle. And he said that I will dwell among the people in this tabernacle. And so when Moses built the tabernacle, then the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And this glory cloud came and rested on the tabernacle. You see this in Exodus chapter 40. And at Pentecost, however... 
Oh, and, and when God filled the tabernacle, Moses includes the detail that the people couldn't come close. Not even Moses could approach because this glory was just so intense and so blindingly bright and God was just this consuming fire that in His holiness the people couldn't even approach Him. But here at Pentecost, we see that the people of God are filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's just a huge difference that the people of God, the apostles, are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, and, and another important distinction is that in the Old Testament, God gave the tabernacle as the center point of worship. So everybody that was going to approach God had to come through this tabernacle and had to offer sacrifices, had to go through the priests if they were going to approach God at all. But here at Pentecost, we see the Spirit gives the apostles this ability to speak in different languages of all these people who have come together from this whole tongue twister list of places that I had to read a minute ago. Um, and this just represents that God's Spirit now, instead of being centralized in this tabernacle where everybody has to make pilgrimages there to go to God, now... It's going out to, to the people that are going back to all these places. And it's filling them too. It's not only the apostles that are filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. The people who are there who believe through their message also get the Holy Spirit, we see. So that's an important difference. But why is that such an important difference? Why is it so key that the Spirit now dwells in the hearts of believers, of Christians, and of the church, instead of in a tabernacle? Well, is it just convenience that we don't have to book a flight to Jerusalem and kill a bunch of animals if we're going to worship God? Well, it is pretty convenient, I guess. But uh, that's not the only reason. Um, the reason is that our hearts need to be changed. If the Holy Spirit is not dwelling in our hearts, as He was not dwelling in the hearts of the Israelites we will not be able to experience this change to our sinful hearts that needs to take place in order for us to live in relationship with God. So you see, in, in the Old Testament, the Israelites had to stay at arm's length from the glory of the Lord. And this is a big reason why they kept going astray, I think. Because God was not dwelling in their hearts, working that change at inside of them, that in, internal change. And the Spirit needs to dwell in our hearts in order to bring us from death and sin to life. And so I said that in the Old Testament, oftentimes the, the Spirit was prophesied and it was told that He would bring dead things to life. And here's just an example of one of those prophecies from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is speaking metaphorically about Israel here. And he says, the fortress will be abandoned, the populous city deserted, citadel and watchtower will become a wasteland forever, the delight of donkeys and a pasture for flocks, until the Spirit is poured out on us from high, on high, and the desert becomes a fertile field, and the fertile field seems like a forest. 
The Lord's justice will dwell in the desert. His righteousness live in the fertile field. The fruit of that righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. So our sinful hearts are like dry, parched land. If you ever have gone up in the mountains east of here, like late in the mm-hmm. summer, uh, things get pretty dry. If you just go up there, in Southern California we can go many months without any rain. And if you go up there, say in August or September, things are just dusty, everything's crackly, it's like about to set on fire, it feels like. And sometimes, I remember going up on Mount Palomar about a year ago, or last year in September or October, and in some places the ground was just so dry that it was just cracked. And everything was brown, it just didn't look very pretty at all. But then, at some times, here in Southern California, we get really big rain, like we had yesterday. <laughs> that was quite a storm. And there's just these downpours of rain, and all it takes, it's so interesting, if you look up in the mountains, probably today and this week, things will just be springing to life and just exploding in green and color, and it's beautiful, and it looks like Scotland up there or something at Palomar Mountain, like this time of year, and in the early spring. And so, this is just an illustration that our sinful hearts are like this dry, cracked ground that are trying to grow things, trying to push up whatever we can, uh, trying to bear fruit, but it's just not working, and all we're pushing up are thorns and maybe a cactus here or there. And here in, in Acts 2, actually, as we'll see next week, Peter announces from the book of Joel, that the Holy Spirit is poured out into the hearts of God's people. And this word, to pour out, actually is really interesting. It actually means this torrential downpour. So, Peter is saying this Holy Spirit is literally pouring down on God's people and causing just the streams to be full and to water this landscape and just revitalize everything. And so... In moving to point three, let's just think about what this means for you, the Holy Spirit and you. So, if you're a Christian and you believe in Christ, you already have the Holy Spirit in you. Those go hand in hand. Uh, in, in Romans chapter eight, or eight, I think it is, Paul says that, this, uh, you cannot be a Christian and not have the Spirit, essentially. And if you're not yet a Christian, the moment you believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit goes to work, nourishing and watering your hearts. And if, but I think both as Christians and non-Christians today, we need to recognize more so our need for the Holy Spirit, just how dry and cracked our hearts are without Him without depending on Him, that is to say, more and more. So, what will happen if we don't depend on the Holy Spirit and don't draw from His springs of water and His torrential downpours? Well, we'll just dry up more and more. We, our, our sins will just stick around. We won't have the resources to struggle against our sins. We probably won't last very long as a church because 
we'll just meet here for a while and then we'll offend each other or get tired of each other and and go our separate ways and just say, well, that was fun while it lasted, but uh, we won't have this resource for enduring, sticking it out together and loving each other and we won't be able to have anything to draw on when we are just drained. We probably won't last long as a church and we definitely won't reach this community and we won't reach the city and we'll just be overwhelmed by all the hugeness of the need out there and we'll be just discouraged by people's hardness of hearts and their resistance to change. It'll just shut us down if we're not depending and drawing from this resource of the Holy Spirit. But on the other hand, if we do begin to draw deeply upon the Holy Spirit, He can give us these resources for change of our own hearts, of these relationships in the church, and of our ability to reach the world. So let's think a minute about what the Holy Spirit actually does in our lives. Now, the Holy uh, Scripture in the New Testament speaks about the Holy Spirit doing two important things that I'm just going to talk about for a minute here as we close. First, Scripture talks about the Holy Spirit bearing fruit in our lives. So this is from Galatians 5, if you've ever heard of the fruit of the Spirit. Paul lists a bunch of virtues that he says the Holy Spirit produces in us, such as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and so on. And so the Holy Spirit must produce these virtues in us. And we need to realize if there's anybody here who's trying to cultivate these sorts of virtues on your own, you just need to give it up. It's not going to work. Just quit. Just quit right now. Don't, don't try it. Um, because you're just going to, if you're drawing from this dry, arid ground, there's just nothing that's going to grow this fruit. We have to depend on the Holy Spirit's downpour in order for these things to grow in us. And how this happens is the Holy Spirit applies Christ's death and resurrection in our lives. He applies Christ's death, and we can begin to die to these sins that have plagued us for so long, and we can begin to rise to new life. It's only because of the Holy Spirit that Christ's death on the cross is not just an inspiring story, but can actually become this powerful engine of change in our life. So we have to depend on the Holy Spirit for this. And now, how do we depend on the Holy Spirit? Well, it's through simply through the Word through gathering together here at church, hearing God's word preached Sunday to Sunday, and through prayer together and on our own, just calling out for the Holy Spirit's help in these things and not just trying to do it on our own. I think we just saw, especially Americans, we have this tendency toward do-it-yourself spirituality that really hangs us up in this way. And the second thing that the Holy Spirit does in our lives is to give gifts for the building up of the church. And so this is talked about in several different passages of Scripture, how God has chosen to build up the church through the giving of gifts to His children, to believers in the church. He gives them abilities and gifts for service. Some of us, some people He calls to ministry, to pastoring like Mike, 
to service, to giving, to evangelism. These are called the gifts of the Spirit in Scripture. And these, these services are necessary if the church is going to be built up, and if the church is going to cohere, and if it's going to last. And so these things are necessary. But again, if any of you today are trying to fulfill these callings on your own, if you're trying to do it yourself, you just need to stop. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that has to give us the gifts that can make these things possible. Otherwise, it's just going to fall flat on our face. So if we're not depending deeply, if we're not drinking deeply of the Holy Spirit's water and resources, we just need to turn again to His Word and to prayer and be filled with His power and His gifting for these callings. And so, as we come to depend on Him more and more, He will do greater and greater things among us, I do believe. It's amazing. You'll just be astounded by what, sh- what will happen at the point where you just come to say, God, I can't do this. I can't love this person. I don't, there's nothing in me that wants to love them, but I know you want me to. Holy Spirit, help me. And somehow, when we're just drained and empty of these resources for this love and for service, this, this inexhaustible resource of power that we have in the Holy Spirit, can just make this possible in supernatural ways. And so as a church, as individuals, let us just learn that since the Holy Spirit of Christ is poured out in our hearts, we must depend on Him more and more for living out the gospel and for building up the church. Let's pray. (laughs) Holy Spirit, we just thank You that You are poured out now that our hearts can actually be softened and be changed. Whereas before, we were just stuck with nothing to do but try and grow fruit out of parched soil. Um, So Holy Spirit, please just pour down torrentially on us, we pray. And empower this church, Lord. It's just, just, there's no limit to the possibilities for this Golden Hill site. Uh, If you just pour out in full measure uh, your Holy Spirit on us. And as we just come to depend and live every breath um, by the Spirit of Christ. So we pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, David. Um, we have uh, one more song to sing, and uh, it's, it, it draws from various places in the uh, in the Old Testament of pointing to uh, to who Christ was and the expectation of, of both Jesus and and His Holy Spirit. So um, this is uh, a, a new song, but but we'll go through it a couple verses and, and the chorus a couple times too, or a new song for us anyway. So let me invite everybody to to stand and and let's sing Days of Elijah.
We have the uh, previous services, which we mentioned earlier, next week, and then again on April 8th. The one week between there, we'll be back here um, at a normal time at 2.30. And then also the, uh, the Easter egg hunt is coming up April 7th, and that'll be in the morning. I'll get you info on that, but block out the morning. Invite other people to come, even to help out if you want to, to help out with the, um, uh, the organization of it. We'll have games and... and um, activities before the actual egg hunt, and we need help with that. And um, now let me invite you to uh, stretch out your hands if you want to and receive the Lord's blessing. Now, may God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who is still powerfully and mightily at work in and around you, give you strength, give you power, give you encouragement and give you hope for the work that he's called you to this week 
and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We have uh, coffee and snacks and all that stuff, so stick around. Thank you, John. Yeah. Hey, thanks for that. <laughs> I was telling you, I was like, I don't know where the chords are. <laughs> I was like, oh man, I know that song, there's one chord, I'm not going to be able to get it. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> it's only because David will stand up here some of the time, and I'll, I'll not always have the pages. And he'll be, and he'll be yeah, kind of like going extra course, and I'm just looking at the words, and and he's like, hoping I'll come and turn the page. Yeah, yeah. And it's so is this, will this work if you play sometime? Yeah, I think it's like right now we don't have a keyboard, so it's like, we I found this for on uh, Craigslist for a hundred hundred bucks. I was looking all I've been looking on Craigslist a lot and yeah. every time I call it's like somebody beats me to it. It's, I know, it's like, like, like oh we just sold British. it and I'm like oh, it really it really you know, it has a decent Key weight and, and sound to it. I, it you yeah, know, I, I really uh, care about key weight. Like, some of them are so light. Like, after playing on a piano so long, I just I can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I've been looking at it, Craigslist, and I found, you know, this one looks a little nicer. Yeah, is this, this is how many keys? Is that right? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Supposedly, um, Costco sells the same one. Like, if you go online, you see prices around 200 250 but Costco for a while was selling the, the, selling it for 135. So I don't know if they still are, but uh, I just saw. Yeah, Costco sometimes has some like really good deals. Like, if you walk in the right day, they weren't giving away free samples though, were they? Yeah. <laughs> you can play. Yeah, great. I love those stores. You're welcome to play it if you want to check it out. Okay. Yeah. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Me too. I was working over the weekend, so yes or no. Yeah. Did you have a fly in the rain? I came in here on Friday night and left Saturday morning. I was, and in fact, I went around right over the top of your house. So I made a lot of noise. Did it come in low and they. It was, yeah, there was, somebody didn't get out of the way, and I, would, I thought there was plenty of room for the tower walls to go around. So. Somebody didn't get away, out of the way on the runway? Yeah. So you went, you went around twice, huh? Almost, no, just once. I mean, you went, yeah, you went over but, twice. Yeah, we were ready to land, and you know, it, it just it was for about eight hundred feet or so, eight hundred thousand feet. Yeah, eight hundred thousand feet—that's a long way. Not when you're coming from thirty-six. <laughs> you say eight hundred thousand? Yeah, oh, eight hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, there's that guy that's trying to jump. The, trying to set the world record for the highest jump. He's trying to go to 23 miles and jump out of a helium balloon. Is that like to parachute out of it? Yeah. Well, jump out of it and then parachute at the last. Eventually. Yeah. He just jumped 13 miles. He's got a pressurized 71,000 feet. He's got a, he's got a next generation spacesuit on. And he's going to work his way up to, seven, to 23, 23 miles this summer. That one, that one. That next, you know the, the thing that um, Branson did, the X-Prize airplane? The, I guess the Rattan Bridge made it. That that went more that went more more like thirty or sixty miles. It was actually went into what's considered level. Yeah. Uh, they've got another one going. I mean, I. I